0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Coming up on episode number 24 of Sports Day Plus. At 6:45, where are we at in society? Corey Perry just got cut from his NHL team for a pretty legendary reason, according to rumors. At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Justin Wells of Inside Texas on Longhorn football, the Big 12 championship game, and the Horns' college football playoff chances. And a mere seconds, the college football playoff committee, confuses and enrages Texas fans with their latest rankings. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, last night, right around this time, the College Football Playoff Committee released their rankings via ESPN, who holds a monopoly on the college football playoffs for this year and I think the next couple of years as well. As bidding is ongoing for what those rights look like past the 2025 season. And unfortunately for Longhorn fans, a lack of chaos at the top and only one team losing in front of you, a team that didn't even drop below Texas in the rankings after Ohio State lost to Michigan last weekend, has left Longhorns squeezing and stressing about what it's going to take for their 11 and 1 football team who has a good shot of going into the DFW area this weekend and winning a Big 12 championship from making it into the college football playoff. It is going to take several things beyond your influence. Beyond your control to make that happen. In a lot of ways, it feels like a perfect storm of conditions, too. Like, it's not just any one team losing. People will suggest that if Florida State loses, you're going to be in. Texas is going to be in. I don't necessarily see things that way, though. Even though I disagree with this logic, I also get that if Alabama beats Georgia, you're probably going to see both Alabama and Georgia in the college football playoff. Alabama will have just won another SEC title while handing Georgia their first loss in three years. And even though they did lose to Texas second game of the season, it sucks to admit, but you can, you can foresee them explaining that away. Because they will have run the gauntlet in the SEC, gone undefeated in their conference, and again, knocked off Georgia, the first team to do so in three years. You're going to leave Georgia out? Their first loss in three years? I guess it's possible. But again, it's about what seems most likely here. Like, I'm not even totally convinced if Oregon beats Washington on Friday night for the Pac-12 title, that Washington gets left out over Texas because Washington will have gone undefeated in the regular season with their only loss being to an Oregon team that is making the college football playoff. Michigan loses to Iowa, Texas probably gets in over Michigan, but is Michigan losing to Iowa? No. We're not going to see a I don't know, 3 to 2 final score. I don't even know if Iowa can score a field goal in this game. So maybe a 2 to nothing final score. Iowa pins Michigan deep, gets a safety and then shuts the Wolverines out after that? Not happening. So all the Texas can really do right now is focus on the task at hand, and that is winning their very last Big 12 game in a championship game at Jerry World over Oklahoma State, which is the last team, last Big 12 team that they've played that beat them. That was last year. Every other original Big 12 team that they've played, and then I guess including TCU as well, They beat them that final time. Oklahoma State is the exception, if you remember. That was a game last year in Stillwater where Quinn Ewers was all over the place. And at some point, it's almost like he stopped trying. He was just throwing the ball to Xavier Worthy over and over again. Worthy wasn't open, and he wasn't coming anywhere close to finding Xavier Worthy on a consistent basis. So you have an opportunity to rectify that and win in front of Brett Yormark one more time. I don't think that culminated with the win over Texas Tech. They realized Brett Yormark is still going to be there in the crowd or in a suite this Saturday. And this time, he's got to stick around to the end of the game. I wouldn't have blamed him at all for leaving before that game was over with. Heck, my family and I did. And that was more the result of a 9- and 7-year-old choosing not to believe mom and dad about how cold it was going to be. I don't blame anybody else who didn't have a rooting interest for the Texas Longhorns of not sticking around to the end. But he's got to stick around to the end of this one because he's the guy who will be on the field shaking the winning coach's hand and giving him that Big 12 championship trophy. And then after that, you got to wait and see. I guess you get to find out a little bit the night before in that Pac 12 championship game. Then you got to watch the SEC championship game. And I guess you could say the most important game is that Florida State Louisville game. Where Florida State needs to lose. If Florida State wins that game, the chances of you making the college football playoff I think are just about finished at that point. Again, barring Michigan suffering one of the biggest upset losses in conference championship game history. Point spread-wise, it may not be the biggest, although they're more than three touchdown favorites right now. That would be a huge surprise, though, because Iowa is not that good. Their defense is okay, but we know how bad that offense is. It's just a running joke week after week. I mean, what, a week and a half ago? No, excuse me, it was last weekend. They played Nebraska with an over-under of 25.5. And And oh, by the way, that over-under went under. It was a 13 to 10 final score, so they couldn't even clear 25 and a half points. I foolishly, in a different iteration, picked the over. Stupid me. Not again. The closer we get to this game at Jerry World on Saturday, the more confident I find myself getting that Texas is going to dismantle Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State presents some unique challenges on offense, specifically Ollie Gordon. And the speed that he has, his ability to get through a hole, but this is a stout Texas rush defense. You're going to need a little bit more out of Alan Bowman early on, and he has been terrible early in games over the last month or so. They actually have decent receivers too. Theoretically, they should be able to exploit what has been a weakness at times for this Texas defense, and that is a secondary that is strong in its coverage. But I don't think it's going to get to that point. I see. I think we see this Texas team come out and perform a lot like they did against Texas Tech last Friday. Just come out like gangbusters in the beginning and never really let up to the end. Because they understand, amongst other things, what they can control is not just winning the game, but how they win too. And leaving more of a positive taste in the playoff committee's minds... About how they are currently playing. Like, it's one thing to beat Texas Tech 57 to 7 at home the Friday after Thanksgiving in a series where mediocre Texas Tech teams don't typically come into Austin and beat good UT squads. That sometimes happens in Lubbock, but vice versa, not so much. I think they pointed it out. In the broadcast that the last time a Texas Tech team beat a top 10 Texas team in Austin was like 1969. So it's one thing to win by 50 at home against Texas Tech. It's a completely different thing to smash a conference foe that you're playing in the title game by, I don't know, 30 plus points. And Oklahoma State, unlike Texas Tech, is ranked right now. That may change after this weekend, but it's up to the Longhorns. To change that by destroying Oklahoma State, and then we're just gonna have to see what happens from there. All right, coming up, it is a Wednesday, which means that we're about to have Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com on for a couple of segments going to talk Longhorn football, preview that Big 12 championship game, maybe get into a little bit of recruiting, and what it's going to take for Texas to make the college football playoff. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elly.
1: It's Sports Day Plus with
0: Trey Elly. It is Wednesday at 6:15, which means it's time for my weekly two segment chat with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas, insidetexas.com and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Justin, always a pleasure how we doing this week?
1: Brother Trey, we are busy. Man, we've had a lot going on from recruiting to the the transfer portal, but really, it's this uh, Big 12 Championship in in Arlington that we spoke about. I felt like for the last 9 months to a year and now it's actually coming to fruition and so uh the horns have one more hurdle to cross before they can really complain to the college football playoff committee about their seating so it's been we got a lot going on man
0: that's right and we also had our uh, regular season awards and uh all conference teams just announced as well so a lot to get to over the next 20 minutes let's start real quick with the game last friday justin Longhorn fans were confident heading into this game that they could take care of business and find their way back to the Big 12 championship game. Sure enough, that's what happened. 57-7, to 7, maybe in the most complete performance for this football team in several years. Uh, what did you make of the 50-point destruction of Texas Tech last week?
1: You know, it's funny. We, we, we do predictions every week. We do them on our YouTube show. We do them on the roundtable at InsideTexas.com. You know, we do these predictions and you know Trey we don't know what's going to happen we can give you an idea but we really don't know for sure last saturday was the one game this season i had zero doubt what was going to happen happen my my prediction was 57 to 7 i mean 55 to nothing so tech did score but a 52 point win to me felt normal because this is a team that's just much much better than the other you look at the players it's mismatches everywhere you look at the coaches mismatches everywhere Texas is so much better, it top to bottom. That this was the type of win you were going to get, and I think with Joey McGuire running his mouth all year and Texas Tech fans being, you know, just the way they are, I think Texas remembered all that stuff. I think they bottled it all up. They they they, they got a nice shot of it right before they hit the field about seven o'clock on Saturday night. Or Friday night, rather. And um, you're right, it's probably the most complete game we've seen. I mean, we we could talk about all three phases of the game, but Texas excelled in every single one of them. And so if you needed a, a good game going into the Big 12 championship, I felt like this last performance over Tech is about as good as you can get.
0: So we're two years into the Joey McGuire era in Lubbock and I was a big buyer of Texas Tech hiring him a couple of off seasons ago, even as a lot of Tech fans felt underwhelmed. Here we are two years in, showed some promise in year one, but underachieved in year two. What do you think he needs to do better going forward, other than maybe talking a little bit less in the offseason, in order to find greater success with Texas Tech with a revamped or a lesser Big 12 next year minus Texas and OU? You
1: know, know, Trey, Joey McGuire is a great coach. He was tremendous in high school. He he was great as an assistant in college. I know during his Baylor days. You know, Joey's a great coach, and I think he's a great fit for Texas Tech. I just think they have to build talent. They have to – if you're going to win in Lubbock, you don't have to necessarily win by gimmick, and that's kind of how Mike Leach won. That 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 spread offense, that that air raid they ran, was really the only reason that made Tech relevant. They brought in some really good offensive talent, and they matched up in the Big Twelve pretty well. They made a nice few runs, but in the end of the day, they were just always a little short. I think Joey DeLubbock is great. I think I think they've got the right coach. I just think they have to acquire talent. And I know they have a certain process about how they do it with their uh, recruiting director, player personnel, guys like that. Um, But, you know, I, you know, I see a lot of on their roster West Texas kids Hmm. and I know there's talent out there. They've got some athletes in West Texas. They've got some big kids out there, but if your team is going to be generally made up of West Texas, you're not going to win. Not in the Big 12, not in a major conference, not at major D1. It's not gonna happen. And I felt like Joey's kind of fallen in love with keeping all those guys close to home, which you know, they're they're doing the evals and, and, and that thing and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, they just need more talent. Joey needs more time, they need more talent. They won a little bit last year off of the last coach's guys. Now these are more of Joey's guys. They've had a rough go-around this year. It's gonna be tough, but. When they start adding real talent in Lubbock, I think you're going to see Tech make a move. I think Joey's a great coach. I think he's the right guy. Just right now, they just don't have the same players on their roster that the rest of the players in the conference do.
0: So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Big 12 announced their regular season awards. That includes the first and second teams, as well as players of the year at different sides of the ball and various position groups as well. Texas, as folks can imagine, are well represented. We'll get to the slights here in just a second, because there's one guy in particular that I'm really annoyed that he didn't find his way to (laughs) first-team (laughs) all-conference honors. But uh, let's talk about the good first. Uh, the Defensive Player of the Year in this conference, no surpri- surprise, Devondre Sweat. And then to add insult to injury to every offensive line that has to face them this year, the Defensive Lineman of the Year was Byron Murphy, also of Texas, of course. Man, what a what a special combination these two guys have been throughout the course of the 2023 season.
1: Not just 2023. These guys have laid a foundation for the future of this program, especially on that defensive interior, Trey. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to Joe cook, our trustee in uh, managing editor at inside texas.com about it this morning. I said, watch sweat and Murphy are going to split it. And he said, no, they're going to give it to sweat. And then the D line, they'll give it to sweat. And I said, that's not how the big 12 usually does things. Mm. They like to kind of split things up, try to make everybody happy. I think that's why you see so many longhorns on honorable mention. It, it's just, it's like looking at a Texas high school football district uh, rankings at, at this stage. Um, to Vandre Sweat, I feel like the Big 12 just didn't want to look stupid because if you didn't vote him for the, B- the defensive player of the year, then you probably don't need to be voting. Yeah. Uh, it was that obvious. Hell, I thought it was that obvious last year with Jalen Ford, but they screwed that up. <laughs> so I was I was apprehensive. I didn't know exactly how they were going to go about it. Byron Murphy, I love him as D-lineman of the year because without Sweat, there's no Murphy. Without Murphy, there's no Sweat. Those two go together. You got a pit bull and a ginormous human being. That's that that that's the combination there. And like you said, they have been potent in 2023. I think they've laid the foundation for for defensive lines in the next future going into the SEC. But tip your cap to those two guys. They came back to improve. Sweat came back to improve his draft stock. That kid is probably going in the first round in April. Byron Murphy. It has been on this trajectory since he enrolled at Texas as a freshman. And so just tip your cap because I think those two guys deserve almost all the credit on that defensive side. There's a few other guys, a few other names that that we'll talk about, but those are the two main ones.
0: Yeah, and then another defensive player gets an honor with Anthony Hill, Jr., tying with Ben Roberts of Texas Tech. Both guys considered linebackers as defensive freshman of the year, too. Anthony Hill comes on strong at the start, uh, showing a lot of skill as a pass rusher, especially in that Alabama game. But give credit to him and his coaches as well for really helping him to get more comfortable in that traditional linebacker position throughout the season, too. I know, you know, there, there are ebbs and flows as guys learning uh, the entirety of a position. But overall, Anthony Hill has proven himself to be a, a very valuable component of a, a stellar Texas defense.
1: The thing you want to know about Anthony Hill Jr. This year is even his worst game he played this year was still a good, solid game. Anthony Hill has brought it every week. I believe it was OU. He has started ever since the Oklahoma game. He took that starting job and and he's played three separate positions. And don't be surprised if you see him playing in the middle uh, next fall when Jalen Ford's in the NFL on Sundays. Anthony Hill Jr., like you said, he he burst on the scene early. He showed that early impact that everyone thought he could be as a five-star linebacker out of Denton Ryan. Texas did an amazing job recruiting him. PK did an amazing job getting him in the right position, and Jeff Choate has done a great job coaching him up. Anthony Hill is a perfect example for recruits. If you're a high-end guy that can come in and make an impact, Texas will play you, and they will play you often. Anthony Hill is proof of that and the best of his Texas career is right
0: in front of him. All right, I'm going to preface this next part by saying congrats to all the Texas guys who made first-team, second-team honorable honorable mention. The first-teamers for Texas include Xavier Worthy, Satavion Sanders, Kelvin Banks Jr., Burt Auburn, Xavier as the kick-returner, punt-returner, so he gets on there twice, Byron and Tavondre, and Jalen Ford. There's a notable omission that is Quite frankly, oh, yeah. inexcusable for me. And I realize you have to take these <laughs> these all-conference teams with a grain of salt. Why in the hell is Jade Barron not on the first team? That is inexcusable to have him on the second team list.
1: Again, that was my first argument, my first gripe when Joe and I got the early release of the names. It was, are you kidding me? Because outside of Devondre Sweat, Jade Barron is probably the most important player on the defense. Yep. No question in the last couple months where he's had to play hurt. He's had to play more than just nickel. He's been lining up at corner. Like, he's doing a little bit of everything. I love that we have the same guy in mind because Johnny Barron's going to play in the NFL for a long time. And here's the thing. You know, for years, Texas gets burned on these Big 12 things. I think last year, Kelvin Banks was the best tackle in the the conference, and it only made second team. And so we were griping about that. And so I was telling Joe and a couple other staffers, there's always going to be guys for us to gripe about. There really is. But Jaday Barron's is legit. Like, I I, I would even make – if Jonathan Brooks doesn't get injured, he's first team as well. Yep. But I get it. Taj Brooks has been great. Ollie Gordon has been tremendous. So I get it. But Jaday Barron, I don't think people realize how valuable he is outside of that locker room in Austin. They know it. And that, that one, that omission, and Coach of the Year. Uh, in the Big 12, you can win Coach of the Year – When you lose to South Alabama (laughs) and you get beat 45 to three to Central Florida, you can still win Coach of the Year. And so I think what'll be funny coming into the Saturday's Big 12 Championship is Sark's now got a little burr in his cell. Yeah. So Sark has a little motivation. And John Barron's probably the last guy that you want to give added motivation to. He's a self motivated person already.
0: He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com. Coming up, we will get into that Big 12 championship game matchup with the Pokes, as well as what it's going to take for Texas to find their way into the college football playoff right here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.
1: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey
0: Elling. One more segment with Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. All right, Justin. Looking ahead now to Saturday at 11 a.m. That is the kickoff for the Big 12 Championship game between the Texas Longhorns and Oklahoma State Cowboys, live from AT&T Stadium in Arlington. You and I were there back in July. We felt good about Texas' chances of returning to that stadium come early December. Here we are. It has happened. Longhorns are two touchdown favorites right now, and I'm going to be honest. Much like you felt really good about Texas taking care of its business against Texas Tech last Friday, I think the Longhorns are very motivated to do something very similar once again. Uh, What do you think about this matchup, and what concerns you most about Oklahoma State if you're a a Texas coach or player right now?
1: You know, the one thing about Oklahoma State that scares me is is Ollie Gordon. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, what's a running back? Scaring you for when this Texas defense hasn't, has only given up a a hundred yard rushing, hundred yards rushing from a team standpoint in one of the last seven games. And that was the Texas Tech game. I think Brooks crossed a hundred by himself. Um, If they can contain Gordon, I think Texas blows him out. Hmm. But Mike Gundy, he's, he's, he's sneaky. You know, he, he will have a game plan. He will have plays that he sets up that he uses for later. Mike Gundy has always been able to motivate the pokes. Whenever they play Texas, no matter what, I li- I like Texas. I-, I I do think it. Obviously, Oklahoma State's going to be a lot better than than Texas Tech, in my opinion. Oklahoma State's been they've been the last three games, man. They just haven't. Ever since the Oklahoma win, I felt yeah. like Oklahoma State's been going through the motions. Huh. I really have, and I feel like if they approach the Big Twelve championship that way, Texas might run run them out of the run them out of, out of the park. But right now. Oli Gord is the one thing that scares me. I think Allen Bowman is a is, is a solid quarterback. I remember him from his Texas tech days. I think he's good. I think they have a couple guys that can catch the ball. Caleb Presley's one of them. Um and then on the defensive side, they've got a decent defense. They've got a pretty good secondary. Texas uh main 2024 target cornerback target Kobe Black. His little his older brother, Corey, is a starting corner over there. So they've got solid players. The beauty of Texas this year is they're so senior heavy and so experience heavy rather. And I think that's what gets them over this hump. I think that's what, when this game is over with, they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be giving out a, a WWE championship belt. And I just want to see Brett Yormark try to put that around to sweat in his 375 pound frame. Hmm. Um, that 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 will definitely be must see television. Texas is motivated, man. That's the one thing I've noticed about this group that's different than the last five or ten years. Not that they weren't motivated before, but they know what's in front of them. They know what's what's there. And I think they're just trying to finish strong. I, I like Texas in this in this Big 12 championship. I think Oklahoma State's gonna give them a game. I think Ollie Gordon, you've got to even when you know where he's going, he's still going. And, and, and they're going to have to contain the, the young guy out of Euless Trinity. I remember watching him in high school. He was always a big, big, you know, guy that just smelled the end zone. But if that Texas D-line, if that front seven can just be what it has been all season at Alabama, you know, against Kansas, against Kansas State, against TCU, against Texas Tech, if they can just be that defensive front that they've been, I think Oklahoma State's going to have a hard time on Saturday.
0: You know, as – even though the uh, Texas uh, University of Texas Athletics Department asked the co-op to pull the Embrace the Hate shirts, this football team has done a great job of embracing the hate this year, and they get one more opportunity to do that, not just in front of Brett Yormark again, because he was in Austin for the Tech game last weekend, as he alluded to in the preseason in his comment to Red Raider fans, but also I feel like they can use the college football playoff uh, rankings committee and selection committee and just where they continue to rank Texas and who they are ranking Texas behind as, as even more motivation to have them laser focused on doing what they need to to put themselves in a best position given the chance to possibly be ranked in the top four once the conference championship games are over with as well. Sark said it
1: best, Trey. We didn't just come here to just come here. They, they, they've got unfinished business. And Sark's trying to get that 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 conference championship title under his belt in only his third season in Austin. And that would be an absolute tremendous thing. I'll be honest. Ian Boyd and I were talking about this. I haven't really paid attention to the rankings that much because I know it's it's silly season. And I know for the first month, they they, they go all over the field. They're all over the place with this stuff. But at the end of the day, they usually get it right. And I feel like if Texas wins out, they do what they're supposed to do they can get in with a Florida State loss or a Oregon loss or, uh, you know, maybe even Georgia thumping Alabama, perhaps. they're going, I feel like they can get in. Everybody's kind of griping about where they're ranked. And, and listen, there's a legit argument. There's no reason Oregon should be a, a spot ahead of, ahead of them. There's no reason Oregon should be in front of Alabama. And I don't think Ohio State should be in front of any of them. yeah If we're talking about relevancy. But see, that's what the committee wants. They want everybody talking about this stuff, you know, comparing, contrasting, things of that sort. For Texas, they know they control their own destiny. They beat Oklahoma State on Saturday. They got a shot to get into the playoff. Yeah, things have to happen, but that's – some of those teams in the top six and seven are playing each other. And so if Texas takes care of business, they can sit back and watch, and then we'll have a big, long argument about if they should get in. Then we'll have that big, long discussion of exactly where people are when it comes to this. And so at the end of the day, it it makes for good television. It makes for good content. But let Texas beat Oklahoma State first on Saturday. Then we can start that gripe. And then maybe we can see Sark pull a Mac Brown and start
0: politicizing. Assuming Texas beats Oklahoma State in the first of – However many conference championship games are happening on Saturday, because it's more than just the power five. But assuming Texas wins, if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, do you think the committee has the guts to rank Alabama ahead of Texas at that point and put both Georgia and Alabama in but leave Texas out, despite the fact that the Longhorns would have beat the Crimson Tide, not just beat them early in the season in Tuscaloosa, but the way that they beat him? Them and doing that, doing something that haven't happened to that program or Nick Saban in two plus decades.
1: Trey, you and I both know, if Alabama beats Georgia on Saturday, they're both going. Mm. And the truth is, they both belong. Those are two of the top, probably four teams in the country right now. Would I put the, Would I put Alabama in over Texas? No, because the head to head head to head has to matter. It, it has to matter, and Texas hasn't done anything to take away from that. They've continually played well, just like Alabama's played well and Jalen Milrose played better. You know, you got to look at the whole picture. You know, Alabama's a fourth and 31 away from losing the Iron Bowl to a team that lost to New Mexico State the week before. It's all crazy, silly season at this point. But, again, if Alabama beats Georgia, the SEC's getting two teams back in the playoff. People are going to gripe. They're going to bitch. They're not going to like it. But guess what? Those are probably two of the four best teams in the country anyway. So don't get it twisted. If Georgia loses, it doesn't matter. They're both getting into the playoff.
0: I think at that point, you have to punish Georgia. Look, I understand they haven't lost a game in three years. At that point, that you punish is. Georgia and they <laughs> get lot left out because you can't I'm put Alabama you. ahead of Texas. You just can't. I'm with
1: you. I'm with you. But I'm just, I'm telling you, don't be surprised. <laughs> and you know that too. You know that too. And, and honestly, Georgia's really good, Trey. Like, Georgia, yeah. they, they've been dominant when they've had to be. They're not the same talent they had the last two years when they won two national titles. But they're still Georgia. They still haven't been beaten yet. And I I just know how this committee thinks and how they work. And if Alabama, especially if it's a close game, nobody's blowing each other out between Alabama and Georgia. That's going to be a slobber knocker. But even if it's close, I'd be shocked if Georgia doesn't make the playoff win or lose.
0: So not only do we have some exciting stuff happening on the field right now for this Longhorn program, but we're getting really close to National Signing Day 1, which happens in the middle of December. Uh, what do Texas fans need to know about the state of recruiting right now, now for Sarkin and Company? And I guess I'm asking that while wondering uh, who might be the next ad or who might be the next couple of ads for this recruiting class as they finish things off.
1: You know, Trey, Texas is going to finish with a top 10 class for the third consecutive year. And if they land Kobe Black and possibly flip Xavier Phil same, they will be a top five class for the third consecutive year. Now, coming off of a losing record in 2021, that was pretty surprising. And then coming off a record where they made up six, seven games last year, that wasn't as surprising. And it won't be if they get these guys. Kobe Black's announcing his date came out again December 13th inside Texas will be at Waco Conley for that ceremony I think te- I think it's Texas right now a lot of things can happen between now and then but the horns have been steering that car for 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 the majority of that recruitment right now and I think they've been the, in there the longest uh then they want to flip Xavier Phil same he's a sa- got five star safety out of McKinney committed to Florida Florida is a mess the defensive staff is getting overhauled his DB coach at Florida Corey Raymond was just fired a few days ago. And Phil Same, is probably he snuck in on campus a couple weeks ago for a practice. Don't be surprised if he sets an official visit in the next week or so uh, to come to Austin. If he makes that official visit, I think he flips. And so look for Texas to finish this class strong. They've got maybe three spots left. They want black. They want Phil Same. They'd love to add another uh, defensive lineman. They'd love to add another O-lineman. They'd love to add another edge. Uh, but right now, I, I think those are kind of the, the guys that they're looking at, the guys are focusing on. I know Terrence Hibbler the Mississippi State commit, he's a guy Texas is, is, is potentially getting on campus. But this 2024 cycle is basically done. You got Kobe Black, you got Xavier Same, you got a little bit of Terrence Hibbler, and that's about it. They're, they're, they, have, they really wrapped this thing up pretty early. And I, I, I'm telling you, if Black joins the mix and same, Uh, flips that's another top five class and that'll be three consecutive years of top five classes at texas
0: find justin wells inside texas.com the on texas football youtube channel on twitter justin wells twenty four twenty four, and on this show usually wednesday starting at 6 15 for a couple of segments justin thank you as always for the time look forward to talking to you next week hopefully with a big 12 championship under the longhorns belts and maybe outside shot but maybe A college football playoff appearance on the horizon, too.
1: That's a big maybe, but I'm here for the maybes. Nothing but love, brother.
0: (laughs) Coming up and where are we at in society, Corey Perry may have just gotten cut from his NHL team for a legendary reason. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellis. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of today's show means it's time for...
1: Where are we at in society today?
0: That's right. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism. It has us all saying to ourselves, hey... Maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. Or is it? Because we have a legendary story, potentially brewing, of a guy getting cut from his professional team. I'm not sure where the list of these stories begins and ends. But I do know that if this actually happened the way that some are suggesting, then Corey Perry is going to be talked about for years to come that have very little to do with his hockey skills. Of course, Corey Perry is a longtime NHL player and a likely future Hockey Hall of Famer. And... He was a member of the Chicago Blackhawks up until yesterday when he was waived by the team for, quote, unacceptable behavior. Now, this is apparently due to an incident last week that came to light before a matchup with the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is according to ESPN. Perry traveled to Columbus a week ago, a day before the Blackhawks' road matchup with the Blue Jackets, when an incident with a team employee occurred, according to ESPN. It's unclear where the reported incident took place. But at that moment, the Blackhawks began an investigation once they are notified of what occurred. This report provides the first bit of insight into what led to Perry's mysterious absence before the Blackhawks' decision to waive his contract with the intention of terminating it. And there has been wild speculation since he was cut in salacious rumors spread on social media which were shut down by both the team and NHL reporters. Blackhawks GM Kyle Davidson did not disclose the details of the findings of this internal investigation, but told reporters during a news conference Tuesday that Perry, quote, was immediately pulled from the game last Wednesday after management had become aware of a situation, which the GM called a workplace matter. Quote, this does not involve any players or their families in anything that suggests otherwise or anyone that suggests otherwise is wildly inaccurate. And frankly, it's disgusting. Davidson added the Blackhawks players were notified Tuesday to make them aware of the organization's decisions to cut ties with Perry, but did say the players did not know any of the details of what had occurred with their now former teammate. So, why is this potentially legendary? Well, let's look at some of those rumors. There is what is being deemed by some a wild conspiracy theory on social media surrounding the Blackhawks waving of Corey Perry that has to do with Corey Perry having an appropriate, inappropriate relationship, excuse me. I guess it's appropriate if both sides are consenting, but an inappropriate relationship with a teammate's family member. You see, it's been speculated... That Corey Perry was involved in a personal relationship with Connor Bedard's mom. That's right, the recent number one overall draft pick who has been really good to start his NHL career. Well, according to some, according to the rumor mill, Corey Perry and Connor's mom, Melanie, have been hooking up. And while there isn't a whole lot of substantive evidence, To point to the truth of this rumor, of course, social media has run with it, but many around the Blackhawks, management, media, and others have said this is not true, that the players know nothing about this and it has nothing to do with Corey and any member of the team or... That former teammates, family members. Just a workplace matter, that's all. It's also possible, unlikely, but also possible that you are trying to protect your golden boy and his family in the process. Or maybe he found out about it and wasn't too happy. I wouldn't either if a teammate was hooking up with my mom. Now, or back when I was in my late teens or early 20s, I'd want that guy off my team, but that's not what happened. Not what happened to Corey Perry. All right, moving on now to marriage proposals. Some marriage proposals are really cool, others are really cheesy. Very rarely does a marriage proposal go as sideways as the one I'm about to tell you about. A woman's trip to an amusement park was packed with surprises when her boyfriend decided to attempt an elaborate proposal. Not only was she not expecting it, but she also found out in the process that he had been cheating on her. Tiffany Lynn is the woman's name. She told her story on TikTok, with a video that she captioned, quote, cheating fiance story time. She starts things off by saying, I found out that my fiance was cheating on me right in the middle of his proposal to me. Like literally as it was happening, she gets into how in love she was with her boyfriend of two years, but she, she didn't feel they were ready to be engaged and was shocked by the proposal itself. As it turns out, the most shocking part of the entire thing wasn't the proposal, but what happened during. So what happened during? Tiffany explained how her boyfriend surprised her with a trip to Orlando for a little bit of fun at the amusement parks. Tiffany goes along. Once there, once there, he signed up to be a contestant on one of the competition games hosted at the park. Right before the show starts, he hands over his phone to her. He wants her to film the competition, telling her, I want you to see what's going to happen. You can already feel the direction this story is heading, knowing the details that you do. Well, after competing in several events, the boyfriend walked away the winner. But what he didn't know is that while he was competing and she was recording him with his phone, He was receiving text messages from the mistress. A woman that he's apparently been seeing during the entirety of his relationship with Tiffany. The mistress wasn't happy because prior to heading out to the day of fun, he had apparently broken things off with the mistress. Tiffany said of the mistress's texts, quote, she's pissed. She's really pissed. I guess that morning he had texted her to let her know like, hey, it's over between us because I'm about to get engaged today. Wow, congratulations. Good time to break up with somebody else when you're about to get engaged with the person that you're cheating on. She threw a fit, even though she herself was also married. There you go. There's the cherry on top of this story. So all of this is happening as he's proposing and announcing it to the whole freaking stadium full of people, her words. So instead of making a scene after discovering during his proposal... That her boyfriend had been cheating? Tiffany calmly walked out of the stadium and waited for him. So she didn't lie and say yes. She just walked out of the stadium so they didn't spread even more of their business in front of a crowd full of strangers. Amusement park strangers too. I mean, there are good and bad ways to get engaged. I know some people are like, oh, but if it makes them happy and she says yes, yeah, do it in front of a stadium full of people. BS. Have more common sense than to do it in a stadium full full of people. Do it at the game if you want to. Don't draw all 10, 12, 18, 20,000 people to wherever you're sitting in that stadium and propose. That's putting way too much pressure on the other person. Not knowing that he was busted, the boyfriend did the whole proposal thing again outside the stadium after he followed her out of there, but this time in front of people at the theme park. So instead of giving him an answer, she pulls him into a restaurant. So again, she tries to get this guy away from a crowd full of people, even though she is about to drop the hammer on him. And then she lets him know that he's been busted. Still, the -the over-the-top proposal guy doesn't get it. He denies... That he had cheated and tries to sweet talk her before an awkward car ride home. All she could say before the car ride home was, quote, baby, this two carat diamond ring, it's just not going to be enough. So there you are. Cheaters going to cheat and they're also going to get caught from time to time. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We will not be back tomorrow at 6. That's because there's a Dallas Cowboys game. They're taking on the Seahawks tomorrow night. Pre-game starts at 6 o'clock. So instead, we'll be back on Friday. That includes our usual conversation with Sam Paniatovic, handicapping the football weekend. And I also have a very special guest that you do not want to miss. I cannot mention it right now. You will hear it in the promos on Friday. Buckle up, folks. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Talk to you on Friday at 6. In the meantime, have a great couple of days and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellis.